Well, hey, I am so glad to be back with you this morning. Thank you to the right Reverend Jim Hawthorne for filling in last week. Absolutely, give him the love. I was on a, a trip. We went all the way. We drove from here all the way to Alabama. I drove 4,200 miles last week uh, all the way to the, to the deep south, which I had never been to before. It's beautiful, but uh, the humidity tried to murder me. And I will not be moving to the deep south unless the audible voice of God cracks open through the sky and tells me that I have to. That's not a challenge, Lord. Um, but we did have a great time. But I am so glad to be with you. I was encouraged on our journey. We took a while. We took four or five days to get down there and back. We met a lot of people. And and I don't know if you know this, like, there's a lot of just nice people in the world. Like, the news is not telling you the truth about just the average person. Like, we enjoyed getting to know people. We got to meet a lot of people in Alabama that were really great, people that we're now related to through marriage. And I was just encouraged to just get out, uh, get away from the 24-hour news cycle for a while and just travel across the country and see some things we had never seen, spend some time making memories with our kids. And... Uh, and just, yeah, just know that there's, there's some really good people that are just loving the Lord and, and, and living their lives and, and trying to do good things. And so, but I'm glad to be back here with my church family. Uh, and I'm very excited to jump back into the word of God today. We are going to jump into a story in the gospels as we have been doing. We are going through the gospels chronologically, if you're just joining with us. And, uh, we're still early on in that journey. We're going to talk about a story today that is spoken about in all three of the synoptic Gospels. If you haven't heard that term, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic Gospels. They just kind of give us a synopsis of Jesus' whole life. And this story is spoken about in all three of them. Mark, one of the synoptic Gospels, as he often does, gives us just a tiny bit of an explanation that book, Mark, is known for just kind of like really quickly hitting things, and then the word immediately happens a lot, and he just kind of jumps. And so this story is one that Mark only gives two verses to, but the other synoptics, Matthew and Luke, speak about in more uh, detail. And so in Mark chapter 1, if you have a Bible or device, you can look at that. It'll be on the screen as well. In Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says this, the spirit immediately drove him, speaking about Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now Mark just speaks about this really quickly, but there's so much more. Mark gets right to the point. He says, Jesus endured temptation to sin. And sometimes I think we don't think about that. Like, we just think... Jesus is perfect, Jesus is God, so he probably was never really, like, tempted to sin, right? But we have this whole story that's told in all three of the Synoptic Gospels that he did, in fact, face temptation to sin. He actually did understand the struggle that we go through in life. Temptation is absolutely all around us. This is another thing you'll notice if you drive across the country is... The whole world is full of temptations. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you are advertised to 
thousands of times every single day. There are advertisements for things that are hitting you from every possible angle, whether it's television or the internet or pop-up ads or newspapers or magazines, whatever it is, our entire world is built around this idea of advertisement. And for you men, every day, everywhere, you are being told that the only thing that really matters is how much money and pleasure that you can gain in your life. That your whole existence is based on the cool stuff that you can acquire and the women that you can get. If you really look at most of the messages that you are taking in, it's telling you that all that really matters in this life is what we can gain physically in this world. That's all that's really important. For you ladies, every day you're being told that all that matters in this life is how physically attractive you are. How fashionable your clothes are. How perfect your makeup is. And if you can just be good looking enough, then you can find a guy who's good looking enough. And together you can acquire a lot of stuff that will somehow make you happy. And it's all lies. It's all just to get you to buy more things so that those people who are trying to sell you more things can get more things. It's all this vicious cycle of temptation to buy into the lie of this world. Every day we are tempted to believe the lies that the devil wants us to believe. And he tries to tempt Jesus with the same things. And every day we are faced with these things that Jesus is, that all that matters in life is the three P's, pleasure, power, and possession. And we're going to see this as we jump into Matthew and and look more deeply at this story. This is exactly what Satan tries to tempt Jesus with. He gives us a lot more detail And I want you to remember, a couple weeks ago, last time we were in this series, this story follows immediately after Jesus is baptized. So Jesus has this amazing moment where he is baptized by John. He comes out of the water. The skies open up. His father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then immediately... Jesus goes into this time of temptation. And I want you just to stick that in your brain somewhere. Because as a side note, I want you to know how many times I have seen this come to be true for people. That you go through a time where you have an amazing moment with God of growth, of discipleship, of of whatever it is. And then immediately you go into a difficult time of trial and temptation. This happens so often for people that I want you to know that when that time comes in your life, that Jesus went through the same exact thing. He went from the highest of highs to some of the most difficult temptations of his life, back to back. So let's read Matthew chapter 4. Let's start with just the first four verses. Same story as Mark, more detail. 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus, answered, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, at this point, has not eaten in 40 days. And I love how the Bible says certain things, like, so nonchalantly. And he was hungry. Yeah. I did something once that um, you probably won't be surprised by. This is like almost 20 years ago. But I tried that no-carb diet 20 years ago. They used to call it Atkins. I don't know if they call it keto now or whatever. But... I lost a bunch of weight. I did it for a few months. But I was a horrible human being. I was so angry all the time that at one point I was working at a radio shack at that time. I know, really cool. Uh, I was working at a radio shack, and I worked with some of my friends. And at one point I was in such a grumpy mood that they went down the hall. We were in a mall. They went to Round Table Pizza. They bought me a meat lover's pizza. They brought it and set it in front of me and said, eat it or get out. (laughs) And even my amazing wife said, babe, I love you. I would rather you be a little chubbier than horrible to be around. She said it in a much more loving way than that. I don't know if you've ever tried fasting, uh, I've never tried fasting for 40 days. I have done 40 hours, and that's difficult all by itself. So to imagine Jesus is facing these temptations, and he has not eaten in 40 days. And yet he still doesn't settle for the lies of the devil. He trusts God, and he quotes from Scripture, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's very easy for us to understand right now. But if you haven't eaten in 40 days, and you actually do know that you have the power to turn that piece of rock into a loaf of bread, that's an amazing thing for Jesus to do. To say, no, I'm going to trust God and not enter into this lie that pleasure will fix everything. And then Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 continues, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the devil tries pleasure, and when that doesn't work, he goes for power. He says to Jesus, come on, if you really have all this power, if you're the son of God, then just jump off the building and fly. Right? You have all the power. You're the son of God. If you're so powerful, surely you can do that. And Jesus, again, seeing through the lies He knows that Satan is a liar, and again, he uses scripture to call Satan's lie. 
from Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then in verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall only him you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan finally goes through that third P, the possession. I'll give you everything. Right? Satan is the prince of this world. He says, I will give you everything. He says, if you just bow and worship me. And Jesus, again, knowing the lies, rebukes Satan with Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Satan leaves defeated, and Jesus is comforted by the angels. I love that, because God knows that Jesus has just gone through this tremendous trial, and so he sends comfort to him, as he often does for us. We also, all of us, are going to be tempted by power and pleasure and possession, and more than that. And the enemy of God is going to come and tell us how easy it is to have these things if we just stop worrying about loving God and pursuing holiness and instead just lay hold of that which he can give us. He lies to us and tells us that. And our whole world is kind of built around this now. How many times have you heard somebody say something like, I'm just following my heart? Right? Or they say, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, but the Word of God tells us in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand it? Because in reality, a lot of times when people say, I'm just pursuing what my heart wants, deep down, we know they're, they're pursuing what their physical body wants. What their ego wants. Don't fall for this trap. Because they're all lies. And none of it will lead you to the fulfillment that your soul desires. We see this in the Old Testament. We've talked about this story multiple times. But we see this from King Solomon, a man who had literally everything that any human being could ever want. He had a thousand wives and concubines. He had all the pleasure that a man could ever desire. He had all the power. He was the king of God's people. Everybody served at his feet. And he had more possession than anybody has ever had. More gold and silver and buildings and people and animals. The richest people alive today are approaching about $250 billion. Sources I've read said that if Solomon were alive today and he had his same wealth in terms of today's money, he would have over $2 trillion. He had more power and pleasure and possession than we can possibly imagine. And yet, listen to what he says about all of it in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. After Solomon had everything that the human could desire, he realizes that it means nothing to him. And that the whole point of life was to pursue God. He says later in the same chapter, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. He realizes after he has everything that all that can really fulfill his soul is the Lord. So let's step back to our initial conversation. We know that all of us are going to be tempted. So what do we do about it? What do we actually practically do about that? We know we are not better than Jesus We're going to endure temptation for these things. So what do we do? Well, let's look at how Jesus handled it. Number one, he knew the word of God. Every time that Jesus rebukes the devil during his temptation, he did so by knowing the scriptures and having them on his mind. Jesus had hidden the word of God away in him so that when temptation came, he was not scrambling to figure out what the will of God was. He knew the will of God because he knew the word of God. And we might say, well, yeah, that, but that's Jesus. He knows the word of God because he is the word of God. Yes, but nothing in the word tells us that Jesus had all of scripture downloaded into his brain at birth. I don't know this, it's not in the Bible, but I I really think during those 30 years of his life that we know virtually nothing about, I think he was reading the Word of God all the time. I think he had it memorized. I think he knew the Word of God in and out. And so when he comes to those temptations, he's not scrambling, saying, oh, I don't know what to do. He knows what God has said in all of those situations. He knows the will of the Father. So if you want to be more like Jesus, if you want to respond to trials and temptations in your life more like Jesus did, then step number one is to get to know the Word of God. To tuck it away in you. You're doing that right now. Congratulations. But also, you can do that simply by reading the Word of God on your own by joining a Bible study, by watching biblical teaching. We live in a world where you have more resources at your fingertips than anybody has ever had. You could start watching sermons right now and go for the rest of your life. And I'm not saying you you should do that because you should get outside and exercise once in a while. But you have so much access to amazing biblical teaching and understanding. Seek the word of God. Another way that Jesus handled it is he was connected to God in prayer. 
In fact, he practiced the spiritual discipline of fasting, something that we don't like talking about very much because it's uncomfortable. Fasting is difficult, but Jesus spends 40 days fasting, not eating, and just giving all of his spiritual and physical energy to being with the Father. He's connected to God. And I know that all of us are not going to do that, to fast for 40 days, but maybe we could start fasting for lunch once a week and just devoting that time to God, to staying connected to the will of God in our lives. He was preparing himself in advance for the trials that he knew were coming. All of us can be more intentional in our prayer lives, staying connected to the Father continuously. If we want to be more like Jesus, another really good way is to stay connected to the Father in prayer all the time. So Jesus knows the Word of God, and he's connected to God. And that makes all the difference in how he responds in temptation. There's a couple more things I want you to know about this. As you face temptations in your life, I want you to know that God provides a way to endure temptation. How do I know that? Because 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that. 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That is an amazing promise from God. That he is not going to abandon us into temptations that overtake us. This kind of reminds me of another thing I hear people say sometimes, and maybe you've heard it, someone says, God will never give you more that you can handle. The problem with that is that it's not in the Bible and it's total garbage. God gives us more than we can handle all the time. But God never gives us more than he can handle. And so we don't trust in ourselves and our own abilities. We trust in God to help us endure through those things. And we trust that God will give us a way to escape from temptations in our lives. This is a promise from God that he will not abandon us into temptation that we cannot endure. And another thing I want you to remember, we talked about this a little bit already, but never forget as you endure through temptations that Jesus understands exactly what you're going through. Hebrews tells us, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's incredible to know that our Lord and Savior understands the struggle of humanity and that he endured temptations in his life. And yet he did so without falling into sin. And that gives me hope that if I seek the Lord, that if I'm seeking to be more and more like Jesus, to become more and more of the man that God created me to be, I have hope that I can endure through those things and not fall into the sins of those temptations. The same is true for you. God gives you an ability. He gives you a way. He, He says, lean on me and my understanding, not on your own understanding, and I will get you through this. 
There's one more thing in this gospel narrative that I wanted to close with today, but it's actually from the very beginning of the section. And I wonder if it jumped out to you like it did to me. It's in the very beginning of all three, even Mark has this part in this story. All three of these verses, Mark chapter 1 verse 12 says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Matthew 4.1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Luke 4.1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. All three gospel accounts tell us clearly that it was the Holy Spirit that drove, led, took Jesus into this time of temptation at the hands of the devil. Why would the Holy Spirit of God lead the Son of God, who is God, into temptation? This has seemed like a weird story for me for a long time because of this question. But as I was studying this week, I think I understand. And maybe you've understood this for a long time. I'm a little slow. Bear with me. Remember the context of this story. It immediately follows after Jesus is baptized. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Did Jesus need to be baptized? No. He doesn't need to repent from sin. He doesn't need to be washed clean. And so, why is Jesus baptized? Because he's modeling for us what we need to do. And then immediately, Jesus goes into temptation. And I think it's the same thing. He's modeling for us what we need to do because we are going to face trials and temptations. And so the Spirit of God leads Jesus into this for our sake so that we can see Jesus perfectly handle this situation. And so he can model for us what we should be doing, because God knows every single one of us is going to be led into temptation from the enemy. And so Jesus does what he often does. He stands in as a model for humanity, showing us exactly what it looks like to endure the temptation of evil. And so Jesus Christ willingly is led right into the den of a lion that is seeking to kill steal and destroy and he emerges on the other side of it victoriously to show us that with faith and trust in him as we grow to be more and more like him we too can be more like jesus and have victories over temptation in our lives that we can become more and more the men and women that he has created us to be and he does all of this willingly because of his great love for us. He took it upon himself like he so often did. And he walks this path 
And then we kind of follow behind him and we look at the footsteps and we follow in his footsteps as he looks back at us and says again, follow me. He willingly submits himself to this because he loves you so much that he's going to model for you what it means to face the enemy and to come out on the other side. And so every day we look and we say, I want to be more like Jesus. I don't want to fall into these lies that power and pleasure and possessions are what are going to fulfill me because they're not. We know deep down, even when we're pursuing those things, we know deep down this is never going to fulfill the longing in my soul. And yet we believe these lies that the world is telling us. And Jesus says there is a better way follow me. Let's pray.